This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. We were thrilled to receive interest from far and wide and to speak with several candidates who met our criteria. Ultimately, Dan Lanning stood out among the rest. Every game, every story. I appreciate your faith in me, and I promise to repay that faith with sweat in the bucket. Scoop Duck owner Justin Hopkins and Matt Bagley from 96.1 580 The Game. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, my name's Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs by Justin Hopkins. Uh, did anything happen over the past week? Anything Anything major that we need to talk about this week? Uh, you know, I, I can't think of anything off the top <laughs> of my head exactly. Yeah. Oh, there might be, might be a few things I guess we could go over. Yeah. You know, I have to really yeah. dig for something to talk about this week, right? No. Right. Uh, Dan Lanning. Young guy, Georgia, D.C. I, I, I know it came out of left field for a lot of people. I, I had read all week it was down to Chip and Wilcox, and you had written that Phil Knight and Rob Mullins had narrowed down their list to a few people. Um, early impression on Dan Lanning. Well, I, you know, I think, uh, I mean, obviously everyone's going to do their homework right, and they're going to kind of look at, you know, what has he done? How has he gotten to where he's at? You know, why was he the guy? Uh, and, and, and so far, uh, you know, our only, uh, and I will just say it, I'll just use this word, our only intimate oppression of him was, you know, Monday's press conference, uh, you know, introducing him at Oregon. Um, that seemed to go and uh, really well, and folks seemed to respond really well to it. Um, it <laughs> it uh, It's kind of, unique in the fact that you know he's gonna basically come and go get introduced handle a couple things and he's off back to georgia um you know to to try and finish out winning a national title um i know that that you know for some people is you know some don't like it some don't care some understand it um but if i'm going based off just you know the press conference alone uh, you know just based off of kind of what we've read about him uh, it's one of those, um, it's, it, it's one of those, I think I'm going to say it this way. It's one of those, let's call it a moderate risk, high reward type of hires. That's what it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it certainly seems to be uh, here, uh, big picture now I'm rambling, but it certainly seems to be a trend that we, we are seeing the last few years of, of good young up and coming coordinators uh, you know, becoming head coaches of major jobs pretty early in their tenure. And I, I think what that lends merit to and why I want to bring that up is I continue to believe that if you're looking for a, a college football head coach, you kind of really only have two avenues. You, you either have, unless you're unless you're one of the big five, unless you're Texas or Bama or whatever with major money, you know, you're left to either go after a retread or you're going for a, a hot up and coming DC because as we've talked about before, a lot of your better coaches are going into the NFL and there's a big reason for that. And I think it continues to, to take away from the college football coaching pool. Yeah. So I think that's what Oregon did. You know, they kind of went through and uh, you know, let's be real. I don't, I don't want to say it this way, but uh, it kind of, you know, uh, Chip Kelly and Justin Wilcox are kind of retreads to a degree. You know, you're, you're you're probably taking uh, low to moderate risk with either one of them, but I'm not so sure that your ceiling is very high. I think we all kind of know where the ceiling is there. Um, you know, chip ceiling isn't what it was back in 2012. So uh, you know, I, I guess that to me says that unless Oregon was wanting to get into the uh, you know the 10 million, 12 million dollar a year coaching college football coaching pool, you know that they they felt. Hey, let's let's go after a young gun. It worked for Oklahoma. You know, they promoted Lincoln Riley. Obviously, he's now at USC. Notre Dame opted to go with Marcus Freeman. There's lots of examples of this, and it certainly, you know, uh, Baylor did it with Dave Aranda. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly seems to be the trend in college football. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with your assessment. Moderate risk, high reward. Because I I think you have examples, not even the ones you listed nationwide, but in the Pac-12 of a coordinator getting a first-time head coaching gig in his 30s. Jimmy Lake getting the job at Washington, that was bad, right? He had no experience as a head coach, 
and it showed in his management style. He hired the wrong people, and he managed them properly, and and really, I think, wasted that football team. Um, And then there's Jonathan Smith, who had all the same flaws, right? Too young to know how to hire people, too young to know how to be a head coach, and yet he hired a great staff in Corvallis, and he lets that staff work, and he focuses on being a head coach, and I think he does a really darn good job. So, you know, it, it can be a failure. It can be a success. And, and I look at Rob Mullins as an athletic director. Some people might say that he is too cheap, but, right, he's got to work with what the boosters are willing to give him. And, um, and, I, and I think at Oregon – He's taking a financial risk that you, you hire a Dan Lanning for, say, I don't know, $5 million a year. I'm, I'm just throwing that number out because we haven't seen a contract reported yet. Um, that's, that still has to be signed off by the Board of Trustees. But um, let's say $5 million a year and a good staff budget and, and all of the infrastructure and support that you know, you would expect of a head coach of the Oregon football program, that's remarkably cheaper than the money it would have taken to get Justin Wilcox or get Chip Kelly, purely from the fact that they are already established head coaches. Right? You gotta buy them out, you gotta spend nine like you said, nine to twelve million dollars a year on contracts. I, if I'm Rob Mullins, I'd rather take this chance on landing. Yeah, I uh, I agree, and I, and I think what we also need to remember and take in, into account here is the timeline, you know, where we are in the calendar year, where we are, you know, in the coaching cycle. Um, you know, there is never a perfect time to lose your head coach. You know, you lose them during the season. You know, that's not ideal. You lose them right after the season. That's not ideal. Uh, you know, more than likely, uh, if you're firing one after the end of the season, you, you haven't had a good year, obviously, so – um, you know, Oregon was kind of left with basically two weeks before. I'm sure you guys can hear my cat. He's, he's Siamese and he is a mouthy little sucker. It's okay. Anyways, uh, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it, you know, anyways, you know, Oregon was left basically two weeks before signing day, uh, the early signing period. And, you know, you spent oh, snacks in enough. <laughs> you spent a week. His name's Jackson, but we call him Snackson because he's kind of pudgy. Because <laughs> he likes snacks, um, you know. You spent a week going and finding a head coach, which let's be real—that's actually uh, pretty quick for for Rob Mullins. He doesn't tend to, you know, to make hires all that quickly. So, uh, you know, give him credit. And now you're hearing my dog. So give him credit <laughs> for that. Um, you know. So yeah, you're left with uh, just a couple. Of- I just lost you there, Justin. Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, you dropped okay. out for a second. When right when you Sorry. said for a couple. Hey, it's okay, man. Like like honestly, these moments, you know, not the dropouts. Y- you know me. I, I pull hair out and, and cuss and go crazy. But uh the cats in the background or sometimes your kids are in the background, planes flying by when you're outside. I think those are some of the most endearing moments we have. Yeah, it kind of makes it, it gives it the human element, right? Yeah. Yeah. But but I you know what you're saying with Dan Lanning, I think, given all of the circumstances, right, you had to get this hire done by a certain time or the recruiting class would implode. Players would start transferring out. Coaches were going to go elsewhere because they didn't know if they had a future in Eugene. You, you had to work quick. Rob Mullins did work quick. And it's, it's way too early to tell, right? We've only met this guy one day, but the early impression is a good one. Yeah, he, he nailed the press conference. Um, you know, uh, the obvious questions are going to remain, right? I mean, we, we're all going to have the exact same questions, you know, questions about how young he is and will that be a factor? Uh, you know, questions about him not having any really ties to the West Coast and now coming to the West Coast. I get it. I'm not going to ignore that those aren't some legitimate concerns. But, you know, again, I, I know I, I've posted this. I, I wrote about this. I did one of those Twitter space things on Sunday you just look at this guy's trajectory and like, you just can't ignore it. I mean, he literally was a GA breaking into college football 10 years ago. And 
like you know for and and that was just 10 years ago he spent the last two years being the dc at georgia so i mean to think that in eight years he went from a, a lowly ga breaking into the profession at least at the, at the college level you know to running basically one of the best defenses in the country for two years at georgia i i mean that's pretty staggering so uh you know this guy's name was linked you know to the oklahoma job uh, it's been linked to other jobs, uh, and you could tell in the press conference he's been offered other head coaching positions before. Um, you know, I think he was selective uh, in the one that he wanted or the one that he took to start out his career. Um, that, that shows that he's patient and he's methodical, and that's something that you know you would be concerned about uh, with a 35-year-old uh, young man. And he, he shows a lot of poise, and uh, you know, I, I think his his age, his youth is going to help him in terms of the football team. He's going to be able to connect with these guys. He's going to be able to connect with recruits, you know, so that is valuable. But, uh, but yeah, he's going to have to surround himself with some experience. And, uh, and you can do that. There's a lot of good coordinators with experience. There's a lot of good position coaches with experience. You know, if you're, if you're wanting to be successful, you go align yourself with a few of those guys. Uh, and as we've heard, you know, from, from, from countless coaches, you know, if you've got the dudes, it makes your job a lot easier to win the games, and I think he'll certainly be able to do that. Right. Uh, a couple of points I want to hit on just from, from reading a lot of comments from fans over the last three days. Let's start with one of the topics you led off with, the fact that Coach Lanning is kind of double-dipping right now. He's got one foot in Eugene, and he's got another foot in Georgia trying to help the Bulldogs win a national championship. I actually really like that he's staying at Georgia this month, even if it hurts recruiting for Oregon. And, and I'll tell you why. After Willie Taggart and after the way the Cristobal era ended, right, the last three weeks with Mario Cristobal, where he's saying one thing publicly, and we have all sorts of reports now that have come out that suggest there was another thing going on behind the scenes, I like that you have a coach who openly, up front, is loyal to his players. And he said in his press conference, you know, that was the first question he got, why are you still coaching at Georgia? He said, I owe it to those guys to give them my best as we aim for a national championship. I love that. I do, and I do too. And, you know, it's one of the things I know I wrote about this. You know, Oregon made a pretty big play for Dave Aranda and, and really liked him and would love to have, have had them as their next head coach. But, you know, I, I know one of the things from discussions is, you know, he, he basically said, hey, Baylor gave me my shot. I'm going to stay loyal to him. Um, you know, there's the, the, there's a lot to be said for that. I think, you know, that is similar to what Lanning is saying, you know, about Georgia. Um, you know, he's a big part of that. Have a great chance to win. Uh, a national championship. Uh, I have no doubt that whether he's here or in Georgia, he can build out his staff the way that he sees fit. And it clearly looks like he plans on being patient. I know the biggest thing that people will take away is what about the signing day? What about recruiting? Mm -hmm. My thoughts on that is this, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal, when he, and, and again, I'm not going to pick on Mario Cristobal. All these coaches are making the, the decisions they feel best are, are for their, you know, the, are best for their program. When Coach Cristobal was here, he was going to go ahead and look to sign, you know, 25 guys in this recruiting class and fill it up and, and bring them in. And had he done that, you know, Oregon was going to be in a position as a school that there was going to be need to be some processing or attrition, if you will. There, You were going to be so far over your 85 scholarship limit, and I'm going to guess just right around 15, that that was how many, you know, players, current players weren't going to be playing for Oregon next year. So that's a lot of attrition. I mean, you know, four, five, six, maybe even seven guys. That's right. pretty natural. Not really any, not, not a big deal. That doesn't raise any flags for me. You start getting over 10, 12, uh, you know, that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows. You're going to create a lot of bad relationships there. You know, when those guys go back and tell their head coaches or tell their seven on seven coaches or whatever the case might be. So, you know, I, I compare this, you know, when Mario Cristobal, was promoted and named the head coach at Oregon, you know, he scrambled pretty feverishly to salvage the Willie Taggart class that he kind of had in place. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kind of his thing. And, and he went after those guys and kept a lot of them. And in the end, a lot of those guys just didn't do anything for Oregon. You know, they transferred out. 
uh, never really played much. Um, and the problem there is you're obligated for four years, right? You go and get some of these, some of these guys and, and bring them to Eugene. And, you know, unless you're really creative, you're, you know, you're, you're stuck with them for four years and that can really hamstring a program. And I'm, I'm guessing I'm wagering that coach Lanning's probably looked at this commitment and, and just from a, a quick glance, from a, a quick view or what he already knew, you know, kind of heading into taking this job. Hey, look, there's probably three, four, five guys here. I'd really like to sign after that. If we don't get some of these guys, I'm not going to lose sleep over. And I'm, I'm, there's no need to name names. There's no need for anything else. I'm, I'm simply saying that, you know, that kind of feels like what the case is here. And he's not looking to, you know, hamstring himself by taking a bunch of the guys that have been committed to coach Cristobal that he frankly doesn't have a relationship with and hasn't been able to evaluate. Now I could be way off base here. Okay. I could, I, I haven't, you know, we, we still are all very much feeling out coach landing and his tendency and, and, and some of that, but you know, to me right now, just looking at it the way I am, that's how it looks to me. And it looks like it's, you know, would losing a Tetroya McMillan be bad? Sure. You'd him sign Oregon. Uh, you'd love to see him a duck. He's a great player. Um, you know, but again, is it the absolute end of the world? Absolutely. I mean, look at the transfer portal. Uh, it certainly looks to me maybe Coach Landing will be a little bit more active in there. Uh, maybe get some of his guys that he has a relationship with already. Doesn't mean they're all at Georgia, but you know, he recruits guys that end up at Alabama. He recruits guys that end up at LSU, whatever the case might be. You know, that opens the door. So certainly seems like that could be. Um, you know, some of the case as well. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I think you raise a really unique point. I haven't read this anywhere, hadn't heard it from anybody else. Everybody wants to think the sky is falling in the sense of Mario Cristobal had another top ten class cooked up and all this incredible talent was going to come to Eugene, and the minute he goes to Miami, all of those players start to think about their future and whether or not they'd be better off elsewhere, right? So you, you have a lot of players potentially leaving Oregon dry come signing day. But I, I think you bring up something, again, I hadn't read this or heard it anywhere else, with the way the pandemic changed eligibility in that basically everybody got a free year. You, you talked about this on the pod for years some point down the line you would have to deal with that you would have to face the inevitable of we have a ton of players still on scholarship they haven't left for the nfl yet they haven't transferred out we have to keep them on scholarship we can't just tear it up we can't just throw the the offer away right we're obligated for four years like you said plus more with the pandemic um maybe this is an opportunity for Oregon to deal with that problem now so that they don't have to deal with that problem later. Yeah. I just, I, I feel like, you know, when a, when a, when a new head coach comes in, right. He is, is given the ability to hire his own staff, right. Uh, you know, he, he is able to go out and hire the guys he wants. Obviously he's got to work within his budget, but ultimately he gets to make those hires uh, not often, you know, they can't come in and assemble their roster. You're inheriting, you know, what's what's there. Uh, and for Coach uh, Lanning, he's inheriting a pretty good roster, but there are some holes on this roster, you know. And I, again, I'm sure when he was going through the interview process with, you know, with with Coach Knight, uh, excuse me, Phil Knight and Rob Mullins, he'd already taken a look at this roster. You know, he'd already looked at GoDucks.com, pulled up the roster, looked at eligibility, you know, look at the, looked at the guys who were starting the names, the, the stars. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind he looked at the commit list. If you think he showed up to Eugene sight unseen, not knowing what this roster looked like and what the commit list looked like, then, you know, then you're not paying attention. So in my mind, he's probably got a pretty good idea about the scholarship math. He's probably got a pretty good idea of what this team needs. And, you know, by, I don't know, I just think that he's trying to give himself some opportunities to bring some, some of his own guys in, uh, you know, maybe be a little more active in the transfer portal than Mario Cristobal was going to be. It certainly looks like that's something that he's 
he's trying to do. And, you know, we don't know, but I suppose if that's the case and he hits the transfer portal and brings in a quarterback and brings in a cornerback and a defensive tackle and some of these guys that were, you know, highly sought after four stars and, and maybe even five stars, nobody's going to be upset that a few of these guys fell off the commit list at the end of the day. So, you know, we just need time. We need to see what the vision looks like um, and, and and trust that Coach Lanning has a pretty good grasp on, I guess this is his first test, if you will, right? Right. I mean, you know, we really think his first test is is winning in Georgia against Georgia in September. Well, ultimately, really, his first test uh, is is here with how he handles recruiting and the roster and how he handles his hires. Those are his first two tests right now, and we're going to get a good taste for him in the next 30 to 45 days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and this is a great point for me to plug. In two days, we're taping another podcast right here. Uh, <laughs> if you've listened to us for years, you know on signing day, we do a recap pod. We talk about everybody the Ducks signed, what they bring to the table. I have no idea how many names we're going to talk about or or how that group is going to look when we tape this on Thursday. What do you think? That makes two of us. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 is, it is a hunt. You know, uh, I know everybody's kind of uh, thirsty for information, thirsty to know who's going to sign and who's not. And I'll be quite honest, you and I are doing this in the middle of the day on a Tuesday. There's still a lot of those very same questions at the moment. And, uh, uh, you know, I, again, as I just said a, a minute ago, you know, Coach Laning, we're, we're going to get a feel for him. We're going to try and figure out maybe what his game plan is here a little bit. Uh, and we're going to, you know, be able to kind of assess him on maybe this very first, you know, hurdle as a head coach with what he does. And, uh, let's say nobody signs tomorrow. Let, like, I don't think that that's the case, but let's say nobody signs with Oregon tomorrow. Is it a failure? Well, on the surface, it looks like it, but guess what? What if in January he pulls in three or four really good transfers and he brings in five to 10, you know, top 150 level players from across the country that don't end up don't signing? Because there's always kids that don't sign and there's kids that show up late. Uh, in the cycle, I mean, look at DJ James and Jamal Hill. Those are a couple guys that are, are very notable for Oregon, uh, you know, that they were able to sign in the later period. I think Byron Cardwell is another one that Oregon signed in, in the second signing day. So right. there is value there. There's still players there. And, you know, that gives Coach Landing a chance to to kind of build a relationship with some of these guys, you know, hit the ground running a little bit um, and, and really, you know, kind of bring in some of the guys that he wants and, I can't fault him for that. Again, you know, some of the immediate knee-jerk reaction type fans tomorrow will be like, oh, he failed. He didn't sign anybody or he only signed two guys or he didn't sign Tetroy McMillan, whatever, you're, you know, you're going to use to make your case. But unfortunately, we won't really know if he failed or not until February rolls around and that second signing day hits. You know, that to me is where we can really get a good feel for him and, and kind of start to grade him on, on performance in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and – and it's, it's worth mentioning, too, this class doesn't make or break next season. This, this class makes an impact down the line, part of which you can bridge that impact with Transfer Portal and, and with, like you mentioned, uh, the, the extended, really, signing month that we have in place right now. Yeah, I, I said this before. Well, I said this immediately when Lanning was hired. His number one recruiting job right now is keeping the team that's in Eugene in Eugene. Uh, you know, I did, I I don't want to say I don't care about the commit list because that's not genuine. But if I'm, you know, hey, what's the most important thing? It's keeping the players you have right now in Eugene. Yeah. Uh, you know, keeping this team intact, keeping your starters there, keeping them happy. That's his first recruiting win. And so, you know, at the moment, all we've seen is a about 60-minute uh, window where Seven McGee was going to enter the transfer portal and then magically got himself sucked back out of the portal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so far, he's been able to keep the guys in Eugene, uh, and that, to me, is the bigger win than who he signs tomorrow. Now, yeah. again, he is going to have to recruit. He is after going to get some guys. There are some holes, but... I feel given, you know, him showing up on, well, he showed up on Sunday, but couldn't really get started until Monday, you know, two days later, there's a signing day. Uh, you know, I'm not going to grade him on what he does in two days. That's unfair. Uh, now, 
if in February you and I are doing a podcast at the beginning of February and we're talking about three guys that signed and they're all mid three stars from <laughs> from wherever from, well, from Oregon, okay. right? Yeah, mid three yeah. stars from from Southwest Conference High School football. Then yeah, we got a problem. Yeah. Then yeah, okay. Let's <laughs> let's grade him on that and say that he didn't do a good job. But I I if you go look at the commit list for Georgia and the number of names that he's attached to. Uh, from this year and last year, it's pretty clear that this is a, re- a a guy that does favor recruiting and is a good recruiter. Uh, and and I don't think that we'll be having that discussion in February. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean that that's I mean, why I, I genuinely hope not. <laughs> ultimately, this is why a coach his age with that question right never being a head coach, he's only in his mid thirties. This is why that guy gets a job like this. Look at how Rob Mullins hires. Hired Dana Altman from a, a school that you probably, I'm not saying you singularly, but you globally, a lot of people probably didn't know Dana Altman's background. Uh, look at softball. A lot of folks didn't really know Melissa Lombardi. They didn't really know Willie Taggart before Willie Taggart got the job at Oregon or, or even Mario Cristobal. This is what Rob Mullins likes to do. He likes to take a flyer on coaches that aren't, the, the most well-known from a, a tactical acumen standpoint, they're not full of 20 years of experience as a head coach at a major conference, but they're great recruiters. Well, and, and you know, who was Marcus Freeman, a, a household name two years ago? No. Absolutely not. No. You know, he was up, he was up and coming. His, his star is shining. He got his shot. You know, good for him. You know, Dave Aranda's a guy a lot of people tried to pry away, and he stayed pretty loyal to LSU there for a number of years, but, you know, took his shot, and and it's working out. I mean, it, it happens all over uh, in college football. It certainly seems to be a trend. I mean, nobody knew who Lincoln Riley was. You know, he, he very much had a, a Chip Kelly path at Oklahoma, you know, kind of seceding Bob Stoops there, who'd been there forever and walked into a, a successful program. So it ha- it's happening more and more. Um, and, and the last thing I want to say is, I, I, I don't think I would normally say this, but, you know, Phil Knight was very much involved in this hire this time around. It was, it was, it was way more evident that there was a lot more influence from, from Phil Knight on this particular hire than there has been in the past. Of course, he's always offered input and it's been well received, but as, you know, as I understand it, Phil does a really good job, even though he gives as much as he does. He does a really good job being pretty hands off, letting Mullins do his job, letting him do his thing. Um, but I do know that this time he was a, a, a lot more hands on than he typically has been. So I, I, I feel pretty strongly that if this is the guy that Phil Knight signed off on and it, and it clearly is, um, you know, I, I, I feel pretty good about Phil Knight making a hire. Cause I think he, he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been hearing the same thing, too. The, Phil and, and some of the higher-level boosters were really involved to make sure Oregon didn't screw this up. So I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of a doubt that they didn't screw this up. Uh, one quick thing on Lanning. Some breaking news today as we're taping this at 1245 on a Tuesday afternoon. I said that we didn't know how much money he was going to get because that had to be approved by the Board of Trustees. Now we do know how much money he's going to get because it got approved. Six years, it'll start at 4.6 mil a year and go up from there. I like the price. Yeah, that's a fair market price. I mean, that's a pretty, that's, you know... Here's the problem. Everybody's going to look at that and be like, oh, man, that, you know, I mean, what about all these $100 million and $85 million contracts? Well, you know, Oregon didn't get Brian Kelly. Oregon, you know, didn't go and get one of these guys that's, you know, a Lincoln Riley that you basically had to outbid uh, their current home for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think for somebody that I would imagine, I didn't see the, the figures till you just gave them to me right now, um, just because I haven't been looking at my phone. <laughs> but I would imagine there's probably some pretty serious escalators in there for him, you know, based on performance uh, recruiting and performance escalators. Um, but if you really, really think about it, 4.6 million to start out for somebody who's never been a head coach uh, as a first time gig, that's very generous and very fair and tells you that Oregon was pretty serious in landing him. Oh yeah. 
No, it, it definitely cements what you said earlier, that this is not the first Power 5 school to reach out to him about being a head coach. Um, 4.6 a year, six-year deal. When I hear that, I think of all the money that isn't dedicated to a coach that Oregon can spend on assistance and Oregon can spend on support staff. Well, and that was a big thing for, for Mario Cristobal, right? Having that money in place. You know, I, I think up until this point, he was pretty fair about how much money he demanded for his own salary so that he had money uh, for those things. Uh, obviously, that seemed to change a little bit once Miami got in the mix and, and the money got a little different. But I would I would wager, um, you know, that Coach Lanning after seeing – because here's the thing, as much as Oregon has been built out as a as a program, as a staff under Mario Cristobal, Georgia's five times that. Their, 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 their budget, their staff, it, it, I mean, it makes Oregon look like a, a, a junior college. And, and that's pretty substantial because Oregon's probably got one of the biggest staffs in the Pac-12, if not the biggest staff uh, in the Pac-12 and one of the bigger staffing budgets. Um, so I'm sure that Coach Lanning coming from that and kind of walking into that is very well aware that that's a key part in his negotiations and that, you know, he wanted to have those resources and that money to build this thing out and make him successful. And that's going to be that's going to be really important to watch. I'm 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 really excited to see uh, these coaching hires in the next few few weeks to a month or whatever his time frame is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of talk on your boards about coaches that, that may or may not be retained. Do you think he keeps anybody on the current staff? You know, I'd like to, you know, just like everybody else, I'd like to think that he's going to keep Brian McClendon. You know, that seems to be a guy that a lot of the, at least the offensive players on staff have a lot of respect for. Um, I know that people, uh, not just players, but people, you know, his peers uh, and people in the administration have a lot of uh, confidence in BMAC. Uh, You know, I was told that, hey, that's a guy that look out in the next, you know, three to five years, he's probably a head coach somewhere, you know, and, and he's not even a coordinator right now. So it, 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 it seems clear that he's kind of on that trajectory too, uh, you know, that coach landing kind of found himself on. So, th- you know, that's a guy I think makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, for, for coach landing, but they've got to meet, they've got to share ideals. They've got to talk, make sure they mesh, make sure they can coexist. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it other than just your resume. Uh, you know, uh, coach Mastro, is another one I think you could make a case for. Uh, again, that's a guy that's recruited some of the receivers, obviously all the running backs. Um, you know, he's been he's he's been around a lot of football, not just at Oregon, you know, Nevada, some others, Washington State, some other stops, a lot of really strong offensive minds. I think he brings a lot to the table for for a younger head coach. Uh, should he decide that they mesh and, and he would, you know, he would respect leaning on him a little bit. So those are the immediate two. You know, there's questions about Big Joe. There's questions about Rod Chance. Um, you know, some of the, couple of those guys uh, that haven't found other jobs or, or are not seemingly linked to uh, really joining Mario Cristobal at Miami. So, um, you know, I don't know. Those are, again, guys he needs to meet with, sit down, talk to, you know, see if they mesh, uh, see, see what works. And, um, but my best guess is your number one guy should be BMAC. You should really try and keep him. I think a case could be made for Mastro. Uh, and outside of that, I think as a new head coach, you need to go find guys you trust. You know, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about Dillingham, maybe, maybe because of his X's and O's, but because the fact that, you know, again, like Cristobal and Mirabal, that was a, a best man in his wedding there. They have a strong tie together. You know, they, they're going to have a sense of trust with one another. And I think it's valuable to have that when you're walking into a new job. And and I'm sure there's others as well that, you know, I know Tosh Lupoi is another name that we've heard about, but I know that there's a bunch of other names out there that he'll talk to and, and, and meet with and interview and, and, and negotiate with to try and bring to Oregon. And more than likely, they're guys that he probably has a pre-existing relationship with. And I think that's important. Yeah, I, I think it's important, too. You mentioned Dillingham. That's Kenny Dillingham, currently the Florida State offensive coordinator before that. OC at Auburn and Memphis in uh, the past three seasons. Is he an X's and O's wizard? Probably not. 
Is he rich in experience? No, he's only 31. Only been a play caller for a couple of years. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head. He's someone that the new coach can trust. And I talked about this on social media last night. Coaching staffs are collaborative, right? It's a team effort. And we've seen that at Oregon in, in each of the last few seasons when Marcus Arroyo missed games and Oregon went to the bullpen and found another play caller. Or when we had the uh, situation with uh, Joe Moorhead this past year, and same story. They had to you know, work, work together amongst the coaching staff to call plays and work out the game plan. That's how coaching staffs work. It's not a matter of just hiring the smartest person in the room and telling them, okay, here's free reign to, to call an offense, right? You've got to work with a whole coaching staff. So I, I like the idea if they get Kenny Dillingham, which is still an if, hasn't been finalized, I like the idea that you get someone on the staff that knows Coach Lanning, can listen to Coach Lanning, help translate his vision to the rest of the staff and the rest of the program, but also somebody that can bounce back on him and say, hey, Dan, don't do this. Or, hey, Dan, th this isn't a good idea here, right? Somebody that he trusts and can work with uh, well, I think can only help Oregon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the it's, uh, you know, Coach Dillingham has um, – you know, he's a really polarizing figure as well, just like, you know, Coach Lanning was and Coach Chris Paul and, you know, Coach Dillingham, you know, a lot of folks like, you know, okay, the, the success at Auburn, okay, that was Gus Malzahn's offense. Okay, maybe it was, who knows. Right. Uh, you know, the success at Memphis, that was Mike Norvell's office. Okay, maybe it was, who knows, but obviously Mike Norvell thought enough of him to bring him with him, you know, over to Florida State. Uh, and so, you know, I know their offense wasn't very good last year, um, but I, you know, they're also really lacking, uh, skill and talent on the offensive side of the ball as well. And they went through a whole slew of quarterbacks all season. So I don't know that that's a fair, uh, assumption, but again, being 31, we don't have this long history to lean back on and say, oh yeah, well, you know, Dillingham's had a great offense for eight or nine years. It's just been this last year or two, you know, that wasn't as strong. Unfortunately, we don't have that history with him, but, um, yeah, uh, very. Uh, you know, I, I guess again, that's one of those things that we'll start grading uh, Coach Landing on. You know, it, it was you know, hey, we're going to grade you on keeping the team together. We're going to grade you on your staffing hires, and then of course, when we get to it, we're going to grade you uh, at the spring game, and we're going to grade you at the season next year. So, you know, all these things are are obviously a big TBD right now, uh, which is exciting and nerve wracking. But um, I, I think it's pretty unfair. And, and disingenuine to, to, to be labeling it as a failure at this point because we just don't know. Yeah, and I'm reminded of when Jonathan Smith took over at Oregon State. He was in a really similar position, right? Do you keep the old staff? Do you jettison the old staff and, and start over? And when he hired, say, Brian Lindgren to be his play caller, a lot of Beaver fans had question marks. Right, This is a guy they had seen up close and personal uh, when he was the OC at Colorado, and they thought, well, that's nothing special. Right, This guy's not a genius. He's just another Colorado OC, like a Mark Helfrich. Uh, he can't possibly be that good. And the reality is, did Oregon State hire him to be a play-calling wizard? No. They hired him because he was around the same age as their coach, around the same personality as their coach, and someone that their coach knew he could work with. You don't want to hire a full staff of guys like that, but to have somebody like that on your staff is valuable. Yeah, absolutely, especially for Coach uh, Lanning, because here's the thing, you know, Mario Cristobal had, you know, uh, not quite 20 years on him, but, you know, a little more than 15 years on him in, in age. Uh, you know, he was going through going, growing pains, too, as a uh, as a still somewhat inexperienced head coach. Coach Lanning's going to go through those. I mean, he's going to have moments where we say, yep, that's what you get when you have a young head coach. It's inevitable. He's not going to be perfect. He's going to call a timeout at the wrong time. He's going to go forward on fourth down and one when he shouldn't have. Something's going to happen, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, but obviously, if you're Phil Knight and you're Rob Mullins, you saw a lot more of, of the upside that says, hey, look, 
he's going to limit those. And, 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 you know, he, he far outweighs that with all the other things he's going to bring to the table. And we think he's going to be, you know, consistent uh, and he's going to execute in so many other phases that he's the right guy. And, and hopefully they're right. I mean, this is a very critical, uh, this is a very critical time for Oregon football. It's, it's a very pivotal hire. Um, you know, again, that roster is as talented as it's ever been in Eugene, Oregon, ever. Even, you know, when Chip Kelly had that tremendous run, this is, you know, outside of quarterback and, and, and Marcus Mariota, this is the, you know, the best talent, uh, you know, in Eugene, Oregon. And that's a big, a big thing to me. If they can figure out the quarterback situation, whether that means Ty Thompson's the guy, whether that means they need to maybe hurt his feelings a little bit and get somebody in the transfer portal, which I don't know. I don't know. Coach Lanning and Coach Dillingham or whoever is OC will show up and figure that out. But that right there is the biggest glaring weakness and 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 should be his number one priority as it relates to his roster. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking for about 40 minutes, telling you everything we think about this Dan Lanning hire. We'll have a lot more to talk about, or, or maybe not that much. I, I just don't know, so I'm just kind of putting that in a mystery box for now. Uh, for our, our next podcast on Thursday, when we recap Coach Lanning's inaugural early signing day class, um, I want to switch gears with you, Justin. You may have met Coach Lanning. I know you're you're in the process of establishing a rapport. You know, as a part of your job as a, a beat reporter covering recruiting. Um, and, and then I got a glance at Coach Lanning yesterday with the press conference and just kind of reading social media, prepping a little bit um, off work. Like Dan Lanning, the person, what are your impressions? Uh, I mean, you know, <clears throat> we can just go off the press conference, right? I mean, we can do a little bit of background. You know, wife is a very uh, attractive young gal. He had three great looking kids. Uh, I love that he mentioned them uh, very often in the press conference. Uh, you know, loved what I've seen from the pictures. Um, seems as though you know, that they're probably pretty genuinely excited about being up here and, and Eugene, Oregon and, and getting to know it. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, I went back and one of the things I was looking through, I, you know, as we go through um, the Getty images and we're finding pictures to put with our stories on Scoop Duck and stuff, you know, I'm going through this big catalog of pictures of Coach Landing, obviously at Georgia. And I mean, every third picture, every second or third picture is like, him fired up, right? Like, just like, you know, full on flexing, like screaming at his players, not the bad screaming, like the, the good screaming, you know, like, let's go, you know, just like fiery, intense, just like you could see it in the picture because mm -hmm. they're not videos. You could, and I think he's going to bring that. I mean, I think, you know, coach, coach Cristobal preached the juice. I think he's going to preach the juice. You know, he's going to bring the juice, you know, best thing for him too, uh, for, for coach landing, he's going to walk in, you know, there was a picture, uh, I think on Twitter or something, and it was Coach Lanning talking to, I don't know, six, seven of the football players at or at Oregon uh, when he first arrived. And, you know, somebody commented, look at how they're all intently looking at their coach, respectfully listening. And, that, you know, that's a byproduct of a crystal ball culture. I mean, those guys, you know, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that's Coach Lanning. That's something he's walking into. If he can keep that culture, that that respect, that you know, attitude, it's going to go a long ways, you know, with him. I, I think he's going to resonate. I think he's going to be able to relate being 35, um, you know, to these guys really well. Um, but again, at this point, he's going to need, need to nail his hires. It, it certainly seems like he's going to run a clean program and, and, and it felt, it felt, okay. I know that things can change and we can't really hold these coaches accountable in that way, but it felt as though he was sincere in his answers, you know, that, that, wanting to be here was a priority that this was a job that he truly coveted that, you know, he wasn't going to leave at the first sign of a new job um, or anything like that. So he answered the questions the right way, which is what we look for, right? We're looking at character. We're looking at, you know, transparency. We're looking at being genuine. And uh, it seemed to me that he, he conveyed all those things really well. Yeah. Yeah. Willie Taggart left for his dream school in his home state. Mario Cristobal left for his alma mater. If Dan Lanning leaves for Division II, William Jewell, I, I, I'm going to eat a hat. I don't know what else to do. 
Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I guess you pretty much hit hit rock bottom at that point, right? And uh, you know, you may as well if if that happens, you may as well just get you know Joey and the boys to draft up a letter to get Wilcox the job next time, so that way I guess we don't have to worry about it. But uh, and, and yeah, and, the, go, and that was the next ahead. thing I wanted to ask you about was that letter. Yeah, right. There's a reason yeah. we haven't spent thirty minutes on this. I don't right. think it's as big of a deal as fans want to make it out to be. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on the letter? Uh, here's the deal. The letter itself, the intent, uh, you know, the, the, what they wrote in the letter, sending it to, to Rob Mullins. Like, I actually embrace it. I think it's awesome that yeah. they felt compelled to do that. I think that those guys genuinely had uh, the, the university's best interest at heart with what they felt. I think the way they did it themselves, at, at least prior to Sunday, you know, they did it privately. They sent it to him. None of them tweeted about it. None of them, you know, put screenshots of it up. None of it. None of them did anything like that. They merely just did this privately, talked about it. And, and I have full respect. I have full respect for it. Full respect for it. it coming out on Sunday when it did it being published, uh, all of those things, whether it was one of them that leaked it or not, we would. We, we would wager that it probably was one of the 14. Um, you know, I don't like any of that. And I, and I don't like that, you know, John Gonzano and the Oregonian felt it was right to publish it. I, I would say this. I, I guess I don't mind that it was published. Had it been published correctly, I would have no problem. Like, hey, look, guys, here's a, a letter that these guys wrote earlier in the week. Uh, you know, about the possibility of hiring Justin Wilcox. It really wasn't written that way. Not to mention it was on the heels of an, another report that Wilcox, you know, turned us down and an hour later you put out this letter. So I don't like those things together. Uh, but again, if we're just speaking on the letter, I have no problem with it. I actually yeah. I actually fully endorse it. I, and I think, it's, I think it's great that those guys cared enough to want to do something like that. I don't agree that Wilcox was the right hire, but again, everyone has their opinion and that's the beauty of this country. Right. Right. And, and I agree with you in the sense of if you're Rob Mullins and your job is to be the athletic director of a, a major power five institution, right? Not just football, think basketball, baseball, softball, uh, a golf team that has won national titles, a track program and a cross country program that we know are successful. All the Olympians that have gone through there, if you're Rob Mullins and you run that empire, you want feedback. You want to hear from the people that know their sports, like the alums and like the, the boosters. And I, I think it's a good thing when Joey Harrington, Marcus Mariota, and, and a slew of others come together and give you feedback. Of course you listen to it. So I don't have a problem with the letter. I don't even have a problem with Rob Mullins taking the letter to heart um, because ultimately, right, I, I understand why the players advocated for Justin Wilcox. Now, they can come out and say they didn't. I've read the letter. I'm not stupid. They, they clearly wanted Justin Wilcox to get that job. I, I think whether or not Oregon went to Dan Lanning after Wilcox is kind of a red herring. Like, it doesn't matter because Dan Lanning got the job and Justin Wilcox didn't. Yeah, uh, like I said, I, you know, had <clears throat> I mean, uh, in full disclosure, George Reister told me about the letter. I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday. Right. He told me, hey, and, hey, we're doing this letter. And you wrote and, about this. Yeah, and I was like, hey, cool, man. You know, I, I that's your business. You know, I appreciate you sharing. I didn't post about it. I didn't, I mean, I didn't, you know, that's, Hey, great for you guys, you know, go for it. Had that, let's just say that they crafted that letter and sent it to Rob Mullins on Tuesday when the search was very much ongoing. Had it been published in any outlet by any reporter on Tuesday or Wednesday, or even Thursday for that matter, I'd, I'd have zero issue with it, none. But on the day that the new head coach of Oregon football is showing up and just arrived, you decide to release two reports by the same person that says Wilcox turned the job down and then an hour later, you're publishing the letter. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't, I, I don't like that. If John Canzano had done the exact same thing that he did on those two reports, and if, and if he did it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or even Friday while, we weren't, you know, while the reports weren't confirmed, I'd have zero issue with it. 
You know what I mean? It makes sense at that time. It certainly very much felt like sour grapes after the fact to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one way to look at it. I'm going to throw another idea at you because Dave Bartu took this angle and, and I've run with it. I really agree with it. What if this gets floated by someone in Oregon, right? It's not George Reitster or Akili Smith or anybody else in the letter. Maybe it's somebody either Rob Mullins himself or somebody that works for Rob Mullins putting this out there to try to cool off any anger or ire from alums and boosters that might have said, hey, I thought we were getting Justin Wilcox. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't, I really like Justin Wilcox. I, I think he's a great guy. Uh, you know, and I know, you know, Keith Hayward's down there. Uh, I, I thought, I, I, t- I say this, if Justin Wilcox reminds me and us of some of the stubbornness of Mario Cristobal, right? Just kind of rudimentary in the offense. And you just constantly feel like, man, if you'd just fix this one element and open it up, you know, you'd be an even more efficient coach. You know what I mean? And and I think that I see a lot of that in Wilcox where play a pretty good defense. They recruit decently well. Um, you know, they do a lot of things, you know, pretty well. But offensively, it's just never been very attractive at Cal. And it feels like if, you know, he took steps towards fixing that. And I, I'm sure he's not um, trying to hire coaches on offense that aren't doing a good job. But it just felt like if that area was fixed, he'd be a lot, uh, maybe a much more sought after coach. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because again, I have a lot of respect for him. And, 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 and I think had, had he been able, if, if like, you know, if, if he could have convinced Phil Knight and Rob Mullins who he would bring as an offensive coordinator uh, to Oregon and they signed off on it, I would have taken his candid candidacy a lot more serious, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Well, that, that pretty much answers that then. Um, like, like I've been saying all pod, we're going to tape this again on Thursday, and it might be a short one. It might be a little different than the signing day pods we've done in the past because we don't know how many names Oregon will sign, and we don't even know if they'll have any names to sign. <laughs> but um, we'll hit on all those recruiting angles when we need to on Thursday after the uh, the dust settles on early signing day. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Coach Lanning coming to Oregon? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think so because again, you know, we'll let, we'll let, uh, you know, this would be kind of a shorter pod and we'll let, uh, the early national signing day kind of play out. And then maybe you and I can draw some more conclusions based off that and kind of see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a good family man, wife guy, good coach, good recruiter. That's all we know for now. And Probably all we need to know. We'll find out more as the week progresses and as the offseason really starts to turn. This is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley. I'm always joined by Justin Hopkins, publisher of that site, scoopduck.com. And we'll be back later this week. If you like us, share us with a friend, and I implore you to do so. I still hear from people every week on social media that say, Matt, what happened to the podcast? Right, We had that RSS feed transition this summer. There's still some people in the dark. So if you know somebody out there that misses this podcast, send them a link. Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. Thanks for listening. And, it, and just so you guys know, the iTunes link for the new and current podcast is always in my Twitter profile. So just click on it, and it's right there. I have it linked right in there. I love that. At SD on Twitter if you need a quick link to the pod. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks.